All right, John 15. So last few hours of Jesus' life, last few hours he's got with his disciples, what he's trying to do is prepare them for what it looks like to follow him when he's not physically present. That's what he's trying to do. Not just for the three days that he's in the tomb, but long term, after he ascends into heaven, it changes the nature of their relationship. That's all they've known is him physically with them. And he's trying to help them see, this is what it looks like to follow me when I'm not physically with you. And you can't see me with your eyes and hear me with your ears and touch me with your hands. Last week he used, or we looked at this metaphor Jesus uses of the vine and the branches. Jesus is the vine. He nourishes the disciples. The father's the gardener. He prunes the disciples so that they bear more fruit. That fruit, or the, the fruit are, are acts of love, the way they love one another sacrificially. Kind of the, a different picture of that, washing each other's feet. Disciples are branches who, again, are nourished by Jesus, pruned by the Father, and who bear fruit. Today we're going to look at, uh, or, or Jesus shifts, and he talks about the relationship the disciples are going to have with the world, and then also kind of secondarily with the Holy Spirit. But the focus here is on the relationship the disciples have with the world. So he's talked about the relationship the disciples will have with him, vine and branch, father, branch, and gardener, one another, to love one another. And now he's talking about the relationship the disciples will have with the world uh, once Jesus is gone. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they don't know the one who sent me. So the, the bumper sticker is the world will hate you. That's what he's saying there. What I hear Jesus saying is don't, don't take it personally. It's kind of like it's not, not you, it's me. That's what I hear Jesus saying. They hated me. And so they're going to hate you because you follow me or because you love me. They hate you, not because of you, but because of your relationship with me. Jesus doesn't necessarily define the world, he doesn't give the, but he does tell us how the world has treated him. They've persecuted him, they've hated him, rejected him, they haven't listened to him. And he says, they're going to treat you the same way that they've treated me. A servant's not greater than his master. And they're going to hate you again because of your relationship with me, because I've called you out of the world because they don't know the Father. None of those things have to do with you. That really, again, just has to do with your connection to me. If, they had, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they've hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law, they hated me without reason. So Jesus says, they're going to hate you because they first hated me. And you're connected to me. And they hate me without any reason. We see here Jesus beginning to help us recognize who the world is a little more clearly. It's people who've rejected him, who've not listened to him. And we see it's, it's the Jews. He's talking about their law. That's Psalm 69, this idea that they'll hate me without reason. And Jesus says they're responsible for that. They're responsible for their response. They're responsible for their own heart. I've given them enough information or enough revelation, enough truth that they could decide correctly about me and they've chosen to reject me. The things that I've said and the things that I've 
done, when we spent three years public ministry, we've seen seven of the signs that he's performed in John. He's fed 5,000 men with a boy's lunch. He's healed a guy who was born blind. He's raised Lazarus from the dead after he was in the tomb for four days. He's healed a guy who's a crippled for 38 years. He's done all of that in full view of the Jews, and many of them have chosen to reject him. They don't believe that he's the Son of God. They don't believe he's the Messiah, and he's also been telling them, this is who I am, those I am statements. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the bread come down from heaven. He's been trying to tell them, this is who I am. They've rejected what he said, and they've rejected the signs, these miracles that he's worked. And so Jesus says, it's all on them. They, they, they have enough information, revelation, truth, and they're rejecting me. And so that's, that's on them. They don't have any reason to do so. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They'll do such things because they have not known the Father or me. So Jesus says, the world's going to hate you, but you don't get to hate the world. Your job is to testify to the world the reality of who, about the reality of who I am. The Holy Spirit's going to do that, and, y'all are, and you're going to do that. And the Holy Spirit, we know from the book of Acts, does that through the disciples. He does that through the followers of Jesus. So even though the world hates you, you don't get to hate the world back. You testify to the world about the reality of who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. I'm telling you all this, Jesus says, because when things get difficult, when you're hated, when you're persecuted, you may even be killed. When, when, when your fellow Jews are doing that to you, I don't want it to shake your faith. The parable of the soils in Matthew, Mark, and Luke um, one of those heart conditions is soil that's rocky or shallow. And Jesus says that that's the kind of person who hears the word and receives it with great joy. But then when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, that person falls away. That to me is what Jesus, that, that's who he's addressing. He's, what he's saying to them is, I don't want your roots to be so shallow in me that when it becomes difficult, when you're persecuted because you're following me, you bail. You stop following. I don't want that to happen to you. And he says, you know, the, 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 the Jews who he's talking about in this context, they're going to actually think they're worshiping God when they excommunicate you and when they kill you. That phrase, service to God, those are worship words. They're going to think that they're worshiping God. They're going to think that they're honoring God when they do that. If you read in Acts 7 and 8 about Paul before he's converted, that's, that's where he was. And he actually talks about that towards the end of um, the book of Acts when he's recounting his conversion. And he's saying, this is how I was before I became a Christian, before I had this encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. I was zealous for persecuting Christians. I I would go around and I'd round them up and I'd throw them in jail. And when they were convicted and they were sentenced to death, I was standing right there giving my approval. Paul thought that he was being righteous in what he was doing. And Jesus is saying, 
that's how, that's how y'all are going to be treated. And the motivation of the people is they're going to think they're doing the right thing. But it's because they don't know me and they don't know the Father. They hate me, which means they also hate my Father. And what these Jewish leaders would say, would, they would say, no, we love God. And that is why we hate you. Because you're a blasphemer and a heretic. And these people who are following you are spreading these lies about God, about our Father. And so we've got to cut that off. And Jesus is saying, no. They don't understand. They don't understand who I am, and they don't understand the one who sent me, and they're not going to understand the messengers who will come after me. And so he's just preparing them for this reality. I've told you this so that when their time comes, that's these difficulties, you will remember, you will remember that I warned you about them, about this trouble. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. He will prove the world to be wrong about sin because people don't believe in me. He'll prove the world to be wrong about righteousness because I'm going to the Father. And he'll prove the world to be wrong about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So what Jesus is saying there is he's kind of given them this uh, shocking statement. This is how it's going to go for you. In their mind, maybe they're, they're thinking, hey, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one sent by God. He's the one the Jews have been waiting for. And now you're saying the Jews are not just going to hate you. They're going to hate us. They're going to reject us. This is going to continue. You're not about to turn things around. And what he says to them is you, you forgot the way this whole thing got started a couple of hours ago at dinner was I told you I'm leaving and where I'm going you can't come. And that upset y'all and you were asking me questions about that. But now that I've told you what it's going to mean for you, and I don't, don't hear that, I don't think they were being selfish. I think it was just they were shell-shocked. They had not anticipated our future could, we could get kicked out of the synagogue. Like these are our brothers and sisters. They're going to kick us out. They, they're going to kill us and think that they're worshiping God. What are you, what are you talking about? They're, they're in shock, and Jesus says, it's okay. It's okay you, you're not, that you've kind of lost the focus on what we're doing here. That's, that's all right. The Holy Spirit is going to come. It's actually better for you for me to leave. Can you imagine that statement? I don't know that there's a stronger statement in the New Testament for the importance of cultivating a relationship with the Holy Spirit than that statement. It's for your good that I go away. God in the flesh is with them, and he's saying it's for your good that I'm not here anymore. Jesus with them, and you can hear this for what it is, is not as good as the Holy Spirit in them. God with them is not as good as God in them. That's what he's saying. It's a strong statement. It's better for y'all for me to leave. It's for your good. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to guide you into all the truth. You can't bear any more. I've told you enough. I've got more to say. You can't handle it. You're overwhelmed. Circuits are fried. Don't worry. The Holy Spirit will lead you into the truth. He's going to fill into the blanks. The stuff that he's going to tell you are the things that he gets from me. 
And the things that he gets from me are the things that I get from the Father. So you don't need to worry about what the Holy Spirit's going to tell you. And in regard to the world, the Holy Spirit will be convicting the world or proving that the world was wrong about me. That's what Jesus says. The, the, the world is wrong about sin and about righteousness and about judgment. Right now, remember, the world at this point is this, uh, the, the Jewish people who have rejected him, primarily the leaders. That's, I think, who Jesus has in mind. And right now, they think it's a sin to follow Jesus. It's a sin to worship Jesus. It's a sin to love Jesus and to accept him. And what Jesus says is the Holy Spirit's going to prove that they were wrong about that. The sin is actually not believing in me. The sin is rejecting me. The sin is hating me. They're going to see that they're wrong about righteousness. Right now, they think that it's righteous to persecute me and to kill me. When I ascend into heaven, they're going to realize that that's, that wasn't righteous, <laughs> that that was a sin. That's what, what is righteous is to accept me and to follow me. They're going to think that when I'm hanging on a cross, Deuteronomy says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. They're going to think that when I'm being crucified, that that is the father rejecting me. That is him saying, that's him repudiating me. That's him saying, I don't have anything to do with this guy. Little do they know, the cross is actually where the prince of this world, Satan, will be condemned. The Holy Spirit's going to show them all that. If you read the book of Acts, especially the first 12 chapters, the, they're, they're centered in Jerusalem. The church for the first uh, several years is almost exclusively Jewish. Starts in Jerusalem among the Jews. And a lot of these things that we just read Jesus say the Holy Spirit would do, we see that playing out in the book of Acts. Peter's first couple of sermons, he's very explicit. And he says, y'all were wrong about Jesus. You were wrong about him. You killed him. He was an innocent man. He was a man sent by God, attested to by God, these signs and these wonders and these miracles. You killed him anyway. God raised him from the dead and he's been vindicated. You were wrong about him. If you read through again those first seven, eight chapters, particularly of Acts, you'll see thousands of Jews coming to faith who just a couple of months before had rejected Jesus. You see priests coming to faith, Pharisees, some of the most ardent persecutors of Jesus are coming to faith in the book of Acts. All of those things that Jesus says the Holy Spirit will do, we see him doing early in that book of Acts. It plays out a little bit differently in our world. For us, when we think world, it's not, it's not this group of Jewish leaders who've rejected but there are people in our world who do reject Jesus. So just briefly, two things. One, when it comes to our relationship with the world, just like Jesus told the disciples, he would tell us, the, world, the world's going to hate you, and that's okay. They're going to hate you because you're connected to me. When we hear that, the world's going to hate you, sometimes we create this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, the world's going to hate us, so we act in a way that invites that level of reaction or animosity. The world, Jesus said, would hate the disciples because of their relationship to him. Sometimes the world hates us just because we're jerks, and that's not the same thing. Hating us because we're mean, hating us because we're self-righteous, hating us because we're arrogant or prideful, like, that's not okay. That's not hating us because of our relationship with Jesus. It's not hating us because Jesus has called us out of the world. It's not hating us because they don't know the Father. That's hating us because we're jerks. So yes, the world will hate us, and they will hate us because of our relationship with him. Or put another way, they'll hate us because they first hated him. 
And there are, there are definitely, there's a group of people in the world who have been exposed to the gospel. They've been exposed to who Jesus is, and they've chosen to reject him. That's when John says hate, that's what he means. They've chosen to reject Jesus. Absolutely, that is a group of people. And our response to them, we don't get to hate them back. Jesus already said, well, we testify to them. And the way Jesus testified, he said, I told people things and I did things. It was show and tell, both of those things. So for us, the words we say and the actions that we undertake should point people to the truth that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's the Savior of the world. That's what Jesus did. That's what he said. These guys don't have any excuses because of what I said and what I did. They had enough to say yes to Jesus. And there are people in our world who we will show and we will tell and they will decide, hey, I'm, I'm rejecting him and then even go the next step in, in rejecting us or hating us because of our association with them. If you want to call those people your enemies, that's okay. You have to love them. You love your enemies and you pray for those who persecute you and you love your neighbor as yourself and everybody's one of those two. They're either your enemy or your neighbor and you love them either way so you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about whether they're your enemy or your neighbor. Your response is the same. You love them. But there's a whole group of people who are not following Jesus, but they're not following him because they've chosen to reject him. They're not following him because they just don't know who he is. According to some missiologists, people who study missions and the spread of the gospel around the world, uh, 3.2 billion people out of the 7.7 billion people on the planet don't have access to the gospel. They don't have access to the truth of who Jesus is. So those people are not following Jesus, but it's not necessarily because they've rejected him. It's because they don't, they, they don't know his name. They don't know who he is. We love them as well. That's why we do missions. It's to fulfill the Great Commission. That Jeremy mentioned this team going to Peru at 8.15. They shared a little bit. The team leader was here, and he shared a little bit about the trip. And he said they've been doing this trip since 2015. And when they first started, it was an unreached group. It was people who had never heard the gospel. And so they started going to this area in the jungle. I guess it's a tribe in the jungle. And now, four or five years later, there's a church there. There are actually people from this tribe five years ago had never even heard the name of Jesus are now helping lead the mission trip. That's a group that's gone from unreached to reached. And there's about 19,000 groups like that all across the face of the earth. Our responsibility to them is the same as those who've rejected Jesus, is to continue to testify through our words and our actions that he is who he said he was, Son of God, Savior of the world. So that's our relationship to the world. It will hate us. We love it in return. Close with this. What is your, our relationship with God? Tying together last week and this week, that idea of the vine and the branches. Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. The Father is the gardener. We're the ones, the branches who are pruned. And, and then this week, pulling in this idea of the Holy Spirit leads us into the truth of who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. So let me ask you a few questions. For many of you, May, you sprinted a marathon in May, and you're just now getting to breathe. So you got about nine weeks of summer. My hope for you is that summer will be a time for you to rest, for you to breathe, not just for you to relax, but to truly rest kind of in the spiritual Sense. And so my question moving into the summer, three questions. First one maybe is the most important. Are you abiding in Jesus? Are you abiding? Are you remaining in him? Are you connected 
to him right now. One of the ways for me that I know I'm moving away or I'm, my connection is weakening or severing is my thoughts. I don't tend to worry a lot, but if I start to worry, it's because I've gotten disconnected from Jesus. And that, I don't know if that resonates with you or not. When I begin to feel the weight of responsibility and decisions and relationships, most likely that's because I've disconnected from him. I've forgotten that I don't have to go through life on my own and that I'm not intended to do so. Prayer is the key discipline on the other side to stay connected. When we pray, we're acknowledging our need for him. We're acknowledging that there's a source other than ourselves. It's an expression of dependence. Vine and branches is a parallel metaphor to parent and child. There's a sense of connectivity, of dependence with the Lord. And both of those metaphors, both those pictures reinforce that. Vines and branches stay connected to vines or they die. Parents are dependent, or excuse me, children are dependent upon their parents for their life as well. So I ask you this morning, are you abiding in him? If not, I would encourage you over the course of this summer, what does it look like to cultivate that? Are you asking the Father to prune you? That's hard to do. If you've ever pruned, that's usually sharp shears. That seems like it might hurt. Are you asking the Father to cut away the things in you that are preventing you from loving other people well? If bearing fruit is loving others the way Jesus loved us, loving sacrificially, washing other people's feet. If part of the Father's responsibility is this gardener who's cutting away the stuff in us that keeps us from loving well, are you asking him to do that? Don't necessarily just think about um, things that are internal to you. You know, I'm, I, I don't love people well because I'm arrogant or because I'm apathetic. I, that, that's good, and those character qualities, and God wants to mold and shape those. But sometimes one of the reasons we don't love people where is because we're too busy. We don't have time and capacity. We don't have energy. So it could be that the pruning is not as much our character, although that will be a part of it. It could be it's part of our lifestyle as well. And that can be scary, intimidating to say to the Father, sure, I'm going to give you access, and you're the master gardener, so whatever you say needs to be cut. I'm going to let you cut if that's something in my character or if that's something in my life. That can be hard to do. Are you asking him to prune you so that you can love other people better? Are you just kind of saying, I'm good. It's good. I'm fine. If he wants to do something, he'll do it. What about your relationship with the Holy Spirit? Are you asking him to lead you deeper into the truth of who Jesus is and what it means to follow him? Jesus is not physically present with us either. And, it, and so the, the Holy Spirit is the one who he's given to us or left with us. He's our guide. Are you asking him to guide you, to lead you into the truth of who Jesus is and what it means to follow him? One of the, I think, the most concrete ways of doing that is to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Pick one and read it over the next nine weeks. And don't just read it to check a box. Read it, asking the Holy Spirit. As I read this, I want you to show me more of who Jesus is. I want you to show me what it looks like to follow him. This prayer that I've been praying since January, and I'll pray it through the end of the year. I'm a reader. 
And so I, I can, I can kind of read just about anything. That's how I'm wired. What I've been asking the Lord is to make the Bible my favorite book. It's, it's the best book for sure that I read, but it's not my favorite one. And I'm asking him, make this my favorite book. My thinking there, maybe this would apply to you as well, is if I really began to see what was being communicated to me through this, I'd pick it up first. It would be, not every day, but over, over time and for the most part. I would reckon it's, this is the best thing I've got. It's my favorite book to read because I meet God there. I learn more about who Jesus is there. And so maybe for you, if that idea of saying, God, show me more about Jesus, if that seems a bit too academic, maybe the prayer you can pray this summer, whatever it looks like for you to read or listen to the Bible, if you listen instead of read a couple of times a week, three times a week, whatever that is, God, make this my favorite book. Over the course of this summer, people, sometimes you go to the beach and people talk about beach books. <laughs> Nobody's talking about the Bible as a beach book. What would it look like to say, this is my favorite one? Doesn't mean you don't read anything else. Doesn't mean you don't do anything else. God, would you do that in me? We're going to close with communion. We have a, a few minutes here the left. The way we take communion, you break off bread, dip it in the juice. This is gluten-free communion. It'll stay here. My hope this summer, I, I said earlier, is that summer, this summer in particular will be a time for all of us to rest. Again, not just to relax or take a vacation but to spiritually rest. And one of the ways that we do that, again, it, it, it's, it's abiding. It's recognizing that Jesus is our source, that we're, we're not. We're not meant to live life on our own. And communion is a very tangible expression of that. It doesn't just remind us that our sins are forgiven and so we don't have to strive to um, make ourselves clean enough or good enough for God. He's forgiven us as an act of grace and Mercy, and we receive what he's done for us. We don't earn it. But it also reminds us, I think it's a, it's a down payment. It, 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 it serves to me as a very tangible guarantee. Will not the, the one, the father who gave you his only son, will he not also give you all of these other things that you need? And so as you think about other areas of your life where maybe you have a tendency to work really hard or figure it out on your own, isolate yourself, do your best. Maybe this can be a reminder to you of the importance over the course of the next nine weeks to abide, just to take a deep breath and say, Jesus, I'm trusting you with this. I'm going to be obedient. I want to do my part. But I want to recognize I'm not in this on my, on my own, that you're not just asking me to work harder. I want to stay connected to you and trust that as I abide, as I remain in you, you're going to help me work. You're going to help me, period. So if you would, close your eyes. I'm going to say a, a, a prayer. If you're helping with communion, if you come forward and get in your spot, and if you're on the ministry teams this morning, if you get in your spot. Always during communion, we want to pray for people who are physically sick. One of the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection is healing. And so if you're physically sick this morning, please... Let one of these, uh, stop by one of these teams after you take communion and let them pray for you. And we're just going to pray for God to heal you now and we're going to trust him to figure out what that looks like. I also want to encourage you as you think through those questions. Am I abiding in Jesus? Am I inviting the Father to prune me, to, to, to bear more fruit? Am I asking him to cut away the things that 
keep me from loving well. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to guide me into the truth of who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. Just pick one of those three. The abide one, I think that's the big one for me this summer, but they're all great. Pick one of those three questions. And as you come forward and take communion, do so in faith, trusting God to answer that prayer. Communion reminds you of your dependence upon him, the need to stay connected. Communion reminds us of the, that we can trust the Father. He loved us enough to send his son so we can open our lives to him and say, cut out whatever needs to get, be cut out. Because of Jesus' ascension into heaven, the Holy Spirit is now available to us to lead us into the truth and to make all of these realities real in our life. So God, my prayer for every man and woman and kid and student in the room is that as we come forward, we would do so in faith and that Holy Spirit, you would meet us during this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can stand, come forward for communion and prayer.